Good morning. Good to be with you. Good to see many faces, a lot of friends here. Um, Cheryl and I came down to spend a few days with the Pruitt and Hatmaker clan, so we're going to go kind of hang out after this. But again, happy Father's Day. That's all we will say about that. My, well, my oldest daughter called me today and said, congratulations. Didn't say, hey, Dad, love you. You're the best. She said, congratulations. You spawned me. So that was the oldest one. Youngest one just said, uh, Dad, I love you. You are the best dad I've ever had. So that's how we started the day today. Whatever. Well, um, a lot has changed in two years. I want to fill you in. I know some of you have uh, followed some of our story through different books and whatever. A uh, good chunk of you know us, um, and so I don't know if you caught the word. We actually moved out of Denver a few years ago. I mean, like a few months ago. Sorry, I'm already. But anybody know we were we were pastoring a church in Denver? Kind of wrote the story about that called the Tangible Kingdom. Some of you might have run into the TK Primer around here. So that was our story of what happened there. Um, a lot of the backstory of the halters has been our son's epilepsy all these years, and so. Uh, long story short, just to kind of catch you up on what's happening with us now, um, our son headed off to an assisted living center about four years ago uh, in this little town called Alton, Illinois. And so we've been living kind of the dream in Denver. When he left, we were able to finally, you know, Cheryl and I, like, take a deep breath and try to think about what life might be like without Ryan's constant disability. So we were going to pursue one of Cheryl's dreams which was to have a little horse ranch. So we bought a little horse ranch 20 minutes out of downtown Denver and kind of have been living the dream or, you know, what I thought was going to be a lifelong, just chill out. I actually resigned from pastoring the church we were doing there just to kind of relax a little bit and, uh, and thought that would be the way that we close it out, you know, fly around, kind of encourage other churches. And then Cheryl and I were in uh, Alton. So uh, Ferguson, Missouri, you've heard a lot about Ferguson. Go right across the Mississippi from Ferguson, St. Louis area, and you dump into this little river town called Alton. So Cheryl and I have been going there for four years visiting Ryan, and uh, always something about the town like got us uh, pretty racially divided, about 40% African American and the rest white, uh, very, very poor, a lot of drugs, visible drug stuff, you know, so, uh, but beautiful, beautiful mansions, turn of the century uh, Victorian homes and uh, great history. Civil War started there in that town. And so there was a lot that we loved about it, but we were like, man, this town is like busted up. And uh, so we'd always talk about Alton when we would fly home. Well, about, it was probably 10 months ago, somewhere in there, we were in a little bar having dinner, and I asked this uh, probably 25-year-old waitress, I said, hey, what, what do young people do in this town? And she goes, um, mostly people just do drugs now. And then we had an experience. A, a guy came over that was a banker in town, and he said, hey, I couldn't help but overhear your story. But, and he, he began to talk about his town, how he grew up there. He was third generation. And he said, I don't want you to get the wrong impression. He goes, are you guys thinking about moving here? And I went, well, of course not. <laughs> no, there's no way. It's Midwest. And, you know, I'm a West Coast guy. And... Uh, and so we, we had dinner with them a little bit, and then walking out, uh, Cheryl began a conversation about how we should just sell everything and move to Alton. And so it was basically like a two-week fight going on. Um, <laughs> Cheryl felt like Jesus had 
told us that we should stop resting and go dive in and help this town. The Jesus I was praying to did not say that to me. (laughs) And so over the course of, we had a family, kind of a family meal, kind of like, let's talk about it. And both of my daughters and my new son-in-law made it sound like they were listening to Cheryl's Jesus, and we should all go as a family and try to do something. And so eventually Cheryl's Jesus won, okay? My Jesus is still kind of not sure. Um, But we did. We executed the plan. We sold the ranch. Um, Cheryl asked me one day when she knew I was struggling with the decision. She goes, what's your problem? And I just said, it's not that I don't want to go on a new journey, I just don't want to leave Denver. So if, uh, sometime if we, you know, you think about being sent by God out to people, being sent is actually kind of a cool thought. You go to a new town, whatever it is, uh, your emotions will actually be about what you're leaving. You don't want to leave people and other stories that God's had. So, uh, so Cheryl said, well, what do you need to see God's hand so you'll know God is saying for us to go? And I said, I just need the ranch to sell fast. Like, I don't want to hassle with it. And uh, so Cheryl went up and put it on Zillow, and in a couple hours, I got a phone call. And dumb thing sold, okay? <laughs> so we just moved our family. Um, Cheryl and I got out there about three and a half, four months ago. And strangely enough, it's been maybe the most amazing sort of um, story with people, the fastest I've ever seen stuff happen where we connect with people. And one was New Year's Eve. Uh, we're just in town. We're doing recon. It's a recon trip. Cheryl and I are looking for a home. And uh, we, uh, New Year's Eve, we have nothing to do there. So we're like, well, what do people do on New Year's Eve in Alton? And we're thinking, not much. And so I said, well, let's go down to that State Street Market. We met Bo and Terry, who run that place. Let's see. Maybe there's a party going on. And let's act like we have nowhere to go and see if they invite us. So <laughs> we did. We went down there, had dinner, and we're like, hey what are you guys doing, like, tonight for New Year's? And they're like, oh, well, we're going to a party. And we're like, oh, that's great. <laughs> and they eventually, well, like, what are you guys doing? Oh, you know, nothing. We're, you know, we don't know anybody. And just hanging out. And they were like, well, you should come with us. We're like, oh, no. We, no, we don't want to. <laughs> we don't want to impose. And so, any, long story short, we ended up going to this party with about 40 people up in this little chunk of Alton. And uh, it, was, it was so cool. People started to say, hey, it's the Halters. Meet the Halters. And uh, they're moving from Denver to our town. And people would be like, what? Why? And it was usually why the F word or why the, why the would you move here? And so we started the story just that in that evening at this party, everybody starts coming over. And we're like kind of the center of the party. Well, the clock strikes 12. It goes great. We're like, this is awesome. We're going to meet like half the town. And, uh, and then 12 o'clock hits, and everybody, as you know, on New Year's Eve, you kiss your spouse. So, you know, Cheryl and I kiss. Well, everybody starts kissing everybody else. Like, men are kissing other wives. Men are kissing other men, which is what I focused on. And they're all circulating. So I got nervous because I'm... I'm actually a pretty good missionary, but that's like, that's beyond like a comfort zone for me. I don't know about you. Okay? I thought, well, maybe this is like a Midwestern culture thing. I've learned that's, no, that's, no, that's Alton. 
So anyway, a guy comes over. He goes, hey, I can tell you're a little nervous. So he gives me a hug. So we'll just, he goes, we'll just start here. So he gives me a hug. So, but that night was kind of a cool night. Like in, in one little party, we felt like we were actually, like maybe God was on the move there. Well, we finally moved in, you know, a few months ago. And the very first, I think the second week, we got an invitation to another party. And the party was a bunch of friends. It was a, a local church planter that had been trying to kind of get some people together. And he felt nervous about it. He's like, I'm thinking about throwing a party. He knew about me, so he's like, what do you think? I was like, yeah, throw a party. And so it was a party of all these people that were not really Jesus followers. And, um, and it went really awesome again. Everybody connected really well. And as we sat around, somebody said, well, like, this, is, this has been great. Like, why don't we keep doing this? And then we started talking about why we would keep getting together. And after we had all told our stories, uh, somebody said, well, it seems like we all love Alton. And, and then one girl named Ellen said, I would really like to like, study like, the life of Jesus without any religious BS. And she kind of looked at me and Peter. She's, and so we like, we can do that. So out of that one little party there, We've been about every two or three weeks getting this little group together, and we just teach them about Jesus without any religious stuff. And I've thought back over 25 years of the story that happened in Portland, Oregon, where we're just normal people struggling with our son's disability. I'm a house painter, and yet uh, the house would fill up with people. And a lot of those people would come to faith eventually, and then a church was born and then we moved to Denver. We didn't know anybody. We went back. To, we were just house painters with a disabled son. And we just would open up the front door, and pretty soon that house filled up, and then a church was born. And I think now about, like, round three, about where, where you go and you don't know anybody, but you have this sneaking suspicion that Jesus knows everybody. And he knows how to connect, and he's doing something so amazing, and yet you don't know it except, well, you don't know it because it's just a party. And now when I travel all around the world and train church leaders and they go, hey, Hugh, what's like the one key that would really change the church? What would change our street cred in the world? What would actually cause somebody to come to faith in Jesus? Like if you were to put it into one little nugget, like if you get our people to do this one thing, what would it be? And I now say, just learn how to throw a party. As Alan Hirsch, a good buddy of Brandon and I, he said, party is sacrament. Sacrament, those things that we do in the church that we think are, are like the utmost importance, baptism and taking the Lord's Supper and marriage. Uh, Alan goes, no, there's something about the celebrating of life with people where humans connect with other human beings that might be just as sacramental. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world is um, people don't like each other right now. Have you noticed that? Like, there's a hostility between humans that I've never, like, in the last five years, be it ISIS, be it which side of the political spectrum, are you a Hillary or a Trump, there's some animosity there, right? We don't know how to navigate. Somebody posts their opinion on Facebook, and you, if Jen posts a blog, if you just want some entertainment, just watch the venom of different sides of opinions about religious things to what we see in ISIS, to what we experienced last week in Orlando. People just seem to find it easier to hate people. And you go, what would, you know, our daughter McKenna came down. Just a few days ago. 
we're just having coffee. And she comes down, and we could tell she's not okay. I was like, what's wrong? And she just, she's just broken over Orlando. She doesn't get it. She doesn't understand why people can't just connect. Why it is so much easier just to hate, shoot, kill, argue with. And she knows the church isn't much better. We, just, we got a 210 denominations because it's easier to fight over crap. And as I think about what might really change the world, like the only thing that I've found that brings different people together and then eventually lives are changed is an invitation to a party. Every single person that I've seen come to faith in Jesus, it first happened because we invited them to our home. And I start to go, maybe party is sacrament. When you look at Jesus and he starts to teach about the kingdom of heaven and the way, like the, way the world's really going to work and run, he gives us these beautiful metaphors, like, uh, remember that one where he's talking about, it's more about God's initiative out towards the world to love everybody, and it's that story of the invitation to the wedding banquet, remember that one? He's like, hey, go out and get some people, because dad wants a bunch of people around the table, and the religious folks, us, we're too busy. We'd rather just live our lives, so he goes, well, f- forget them, just go out into every byway and highway, every nook and cranny. And just invite anybody. Get the poor. Get the ones that don't get invites. Just, and the, but the, the metaphor is of a wedding banquet. Then later we have the story of the prodigal son. You remember, that's the story of all of us. Where God gives us everything and we take it and we squander it. And then we go off and we blow it all. And now we come back and we're groveling for dad to take us back. And you remember that story. What's the, what the, what's the image? Is that... The Father's waiting for us, and he doesn't put a finger in our chest and belittle us for being knuckleheads. He just goes, I'm so glad you're here. Fire up the party. And then you have what we call the Last Supper. I call it the Last Party. Jesus is with his best friends, the ones he's, it's it's his probably Jesus' most emotional night. He's about to not only say goodbye to the boys, he's going to about to go into the passion narrative for all of us and go to the cross so not only is he dealing with personal fear, he's now going to entrust the mission of his father to human beings. And so he's having this high priestly prayer. He's begging his dad to bless and favor these young men as they go out. And then he has what we call the communion, the first communion, the last supper. This is why Alan says party is sacrament. This idea of people being together around a table with some food and some good drink he says, whenever you guys do this, I, I, I kind of sort of don't know if Jesus meant for the Lord's Supper to become a sacrament of an institutional church. I kind of think Jesus went, whenever you guys get together as a group of friends in homes and in little cafes on the street corners of Paris and New York City, whenever you get your friends together and then you call some other people over and you want to re- have that evening, remember, put me in the center of that experience. And so I want to take you to uh, a little story, and um, that was just intro. How much time do I got? <laughs> Sorry, I got a little emotional there. But um, I'll make it short. Acts 10. Acts 10 is a story of all of us getting confronted with the party. Uh, by the time I'm done, I'm going to actually challenge you to open up your house. I'm going to call you to blow out walls in your home, make your spaces bigger, 
hang up those illuminated balls that the hat makers hang from their trees, stick washer pits out. I'm going to actually, I'm going to do this officially right now. I'm going to stand because this is going to be an important thing. On behalf of ANC, I, on Father's Day, I am officially, and wives, you have no say in this, okay? <laughs> I'm officially giving you permission to upgrade all of your smoker grill barbecues. <laughs> Get a Traeger, whatever, okay? But I'm going to call you to this, but I want you to see there's a theology of party. So before we do that, before we start actually renovating homes, before I ask you to open up the lives of your children and your wives and your husbands to the rest of the world, this is the story of the early church. The book of Acts is a story of how God was forming the church, breaking down paradigms, uh, bringing people together. Acts 10 is where it kind of all happens. I'm just going to kind of walk you through it really quick. Just kind of check this out. By the way, backdrop of this is that before this, you have people putting their faith in Jesus because he's walking with them. The disciples are hanging out. Hanging out. Um, but as people are preparing for the Messiah, the issue of holiness and preparation is a big deal. So uh, somebody's holiness or how close they are with God was dependent really on two things. So just remember this. It was based on um, what you eat and who you eat with. That was everything at that point of the game. So catch the story now. You have in Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known the Italian regiment. So you have a Roman army leader. Do, just based on what you know, do Romans and the Jewish people, do they like each other right now in history? No, the Romans are over the Jewish people. So you have a Roman centurion, and he's apparently a devout, God-fearing man. He's very generous to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Hugh, why is party so important? A party is about the only place where it's natural to actually find out somebody's story. Most of us wake up in the morning and we have mostly judgments towards other people. If you don't know somebody, you naturally move to judgment, right? So if the people that are about to run into this Roman centurion were to just go, okay, what do you know of Roman centurions? They'd go, well, they're, they're not our people. This is why party is important. When you, when you actually celebrate life with people over food and drink and just in homes, you actually find out people's story and you realize that you can't judge anybody. There's no place for judgment because you don't know the context. And so here's the story. Right now everybody's separated. You have this uh, Roman man and he gets a vision. He saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius... Cornelius stared at him in fear, says, What is it, Lord? And asked, The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts of, to the poor have gone up as a memorial before God. Another reason not to judge people, because God actually looks at people that may not be what we call in the church, and he really likes them. And they do things in the world, and he, he actually blesses and loves them too. Okay? says, Now send men to Joppa to bring back a, na- a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And he is staying with another dude named Simon the Tanner. Okay? Now, the Tanner, we think Simon the Tanner was also a Jewish man. So you got the two sort of Simons hanging out together. Probably Joppa's on the coast. All the Tanners, you know, they're going to, like, clean up animal skin. So they're out on the coast. They're using the salt water. Anybody that was really doing work with meat and animals was kind of considered, like, a bad, in our vernacular, would be a bad Christian. They're not quite... 
they're not even close to Jerusalem. They're out dealing with unclean meat. But somehow Peter's staying with this guy. So the, the word from the angel is, get on up to that place. And when the angel spoke to him he, and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants uh, who were under this devout soldier and one, and one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, Peter is up there. So Peter, about noon, following the following day, uh, these guys head up on their journey and they're approaching the house. And Peter, it says, went up on the roof to pray. Probably overlooking the water, just chilling out. He's trying to pray. By the way, are any of you introverted? Just raise your hand. It's even hard to raise your hand when you're introverted. <laughs> okay, how many of you are extroverted? Okay. Okay, I'm introverted. Uh, about 80% of us are actually known to be introverts. And what that means is that you don't like humans. Okay? You're not comfortable. Like when Brandon did the go say hi, you just go, oh, suck. I don't want to. I don't want to. Okay, that's introvert. Um, introversion. Um, well, it's a Midwestern family value. When we started doing the church in Denver, we had to actually hold what we called Midwestern recovery classes, because Midwestern people are more reserved, more introverted by a culture, so they don't talk much. They stay to themselves, that type of thing. So, um, but uh, I'm an introvert. So when you hear all of our stories of parties, don't don't just think partying is for the extroverts. Uh, introversion, extroversion isn't whether or not you're going to be good with people. It's about how you recover from people. So many of you have been to a halter party. We can, we can jam 75 in and we can have a great time and people perceive that I'm the party guy. But I'm over by the grill. I'm good at like inviting them, but then I just soon just be sitting there turning meat because I don't have to talk to anybody. Okay? <laughs> Cheryl's much more extrovert. She can do that. Okay? So we work well together. But here you have Peter probably, you know, introverted, sitting out on the roof, and he's praying, and then he gets this vision of all these animals, okay? So he doesn't know what's going on. I'm going to cut to the chase. Um, so Peter begins to, to see this vision, all these reptiles and animals, birds of the air, and then a voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Actually sounds like a That'd be a good Father's Day thing for Texan men, wouldn't it? Get up, kill, eat. Sure. Awesome. Let's do that. For Peter, a Jewish man, game changer. So he goes, no, surely, Lord, no. He says, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened how many times? Three times. He has to just kind of keep going over because initially to Peter's religious paradigm, holiness is based on what you don't participate in. It's based on what you don't eat and who you don't eat with. And so now he's going, Lord, I know I can't. I'm trying to follow you as best as I can. How many of you grew up in a church environment where you were told to come away from the world and the worldly people? I grew up in what was called a holiness movement church, a Nazarene church. And there's beautiful theology of the holiness movement was like when you accept Jesus, you should let him do a little cleaning up, right? So there's beautiful parts in that. But it oftentimes, almost every time, will move to a legalistic move where you start to micromanage, so I had to get rid of all of my U2 and Billy Idol and Aerosmith that I deeply want back now. 
But, you know, where I grew up, you couldn't go to the roller skating rink. You, do you guys even know what a roller skating rink is like? Okay. <laughs> but you couldn't go to the movie, the movie house. You couldn't really look at art. Art was taboo because it was all over the world. It just and it went on. My parents would not play uh, cards with a deck of cards because of the suicide king guy. So they, all the Nazarenes over all the world, they only played this card game called Rook. It's true. So the legalism of holiness, holiness, like let's not be with those people, let's not do it. But all of a sudden now, Jesus is trying to break Peter's paradigm. No, like don't call any of this stuff unclean because I've made it now clean. What he's referring to is once he dies on the cross, all the stuff that you used to do legalistically to try to toe the line to the law, now everything about following Jesus is going to be of the heart. And so all those taboos are now open game. You're now just going to have to learn how to navigate all this stuff. And so Peter has this conversation. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, clueless, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They would have stopped by the gate because, again, the Romans, Romans and Jews would never share a living room together. So they stopped by the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. Now, while Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, funny, like Simon would not have probably just got up and went, oh, there's Roman dudes at the gate. I think I'll go talk to him. He would have went, next house, boys. So another vision has to come. Simon, you need to get up and go to the door. It's, it's a good, I think it's a good illustration. How many of you have changed in your viewpoints towards different humans over the years? It seems like all of us, I mean, even our early Christian history is rich with racism. People slowly, one by one, kind of moved forward, pulled out of that. Still many left in it. There are views towards those that don't share our sexual orientation. How many of you have moved towards how you view people? Towards back in those days, if somebody was sick, they were of the devil. How many of you, when you look at those that are poor and oppressed, where you used to think, oh, it's their fault, so no need to help, how many of you have actually learned and you've changed in your viewpoint towards the poor? Yeah, so here you have Peter just slowly, God's trying to, like, come on. Because <laughs> the whole history of the church is going to depend upon this moment, Peter. Like, you have to get this. And so they're outside the house. And they called out, and Peter was still thinking about it, blah, blah, blah. And the, the uh, Spirit said, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate, because he would have hesitated. So Peter goes down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion, and he's a righteous, God-fearing man. So they're trying to, like, like don't judge us, okay? He's a good man. Don't just put us in that camp that you put all the other Romans. And so Peter's had this vision now. And so it says, Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The change of the world happens right here. Nobody knows it, but this is the beginning of the real church that's going to emerge. Because as soon as you invite somebody into your home and you break through that initial awkwardness, Something begins to happen. How many of you uh, do find it awkward when people enter your home? Well, say it this way. How many of you feel awkward when you go to somebody else's home? 
initially, right? When you stand on the door and you knock or you ring, how many of you feel you just, because you're going into somebody's home? Well, in Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern, and even modern day Eastern hospitality, it means love of stranger. Many of you know this. So the idea that you would invite somebody in and care for them, you know, the Jews had this idea, it was called the threshold, that the most important thing you do when you, when you invite people in for a party is you help them get over the door because that's the place of judgment. I can remember when our daughter was dating this young kid and it was this super redneck family, okay? <laughs> super redneck family, okay? And, uh, and I wasn't sure about the kids, so we're, like, talking about it. I'm like, yeah, we should, like, let's do a family dinner. Daughter's feeling weird about it. The boyfriend's feeling like this is not going to go well. Like, let's not do this. Like, no, let's have a party. So they come over. We're watching. We're preparing. I'm actually a little uncomfortable myself. I don't really want to do it. Cheryl doesn't really. But we're like, let's, we should do this, okay? So we watch them get out of their car. He pulls up, and every door and fender is a different color classic. He gets out. He's so nervous. He's just just sucking. And, and the girlfriend, mom, whacks him on. It's like, stop smoking. So we see this go on. I'm watching my daughter and boyfriend who are just waiting. They're waiting out there for this to be over. This little fight. So they come in. It's very nervous. I open the door because I've learned to help people across, you should be at the door waiting for them. Don't just wait for them to stand there. Like, open the door. Hey, come on in. Let's go. So they come in. It's very awkward to break the silence. I've learned God gave us food. Food and drink is the, the main. Just get, stick a glass, sweet tea, anything. Just stick a glass, you know, so they can grab it. Do anything. So I said, hey, you want to just come on over? I got this little Irish bar here behind. And he's like, yeah. So we take him around, and I got one big elk head hanging there. And he's nervous, so we're just trying to, like, make small talk. And he goes, like, uh, do you shoot that? I was like, no, that little sucker came running down off the hill, picked up steam, and went crashing right through the wall and got stuck. <laughs> My daughter is watching this. She's like, well, he goes, he goes, no kidding. I was like, yeah. My daughter's just like, I hate you, Dad. So, anyway. But it broke the ice. You know, then we got him some food and some, you know, and we got through the evening, okay? So this is what's happening. It's how awkward it would have been to have this Roman in this Jewish home. And then it follows this way. It says, the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was now expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. This is like, you guys have seen my big fat Greek wedding. This is now the Jewish people coming down to the Roman. And the Romans have called all their Roman family members. And Peter entered their house. And poof, something begins, something crazy, amazing had just happened in this one little Jewish home. Now, all of a sudden, in this little Roman home. And long story short, it begins to bubble, and by Acts 17, everybody's paradigms are being blown. And Acts 17, there's this little tiny house church that had started in this place called Antioch. And it said at that one little place in Antioch, we got our name Christians. 
and it was given to us. Before that, we didn't really have a name for the new movement. It was Jewish people coming to faith in Jesus, and it was Roman people coming to faith, and it was Greek people, and nobody knew what to do because they all ate differently, they all drank differently, they all partied differently, but something was beginning to happen. And so at Antioch, it was the first church where you had people of different color, different creed, different tradition, different customs, different religion, different gods that were now all coming under the roof together, and they were following Jesus. And it says, and those outside of us called us Christians. That that was our identity. What made us unique in the world is that we were the people that had this radical inclusivity that crossed all these barriers. And the way that it actually worked was to just simply throw a party. I think about the people in our lives. Cheryl and I have probably thrown as, as the, really the only thing that we did as a missionary couple we just threw hundreds of parties. And a party is any place where you, it's a neutral environment. You're not trying to sneak attack people into a prayer before the meal. You're just being humans with other humans. And although it may be on your turf, it doesn't feel like it's your turf because you make it so neutral and so open to everybody. And I think about a young guy named C.J. Coffey, a young African-American kid. As Cheryl and I were doing outreach ministry at a local high school that we invited him and his brother and all his buddies over. And we would throw little parties, little gatherings, food and whatever with these kids. And CJ came to faith. And now CJ pastors one of the coolest multi-ethnic churches in Portland, Oregon. I think about a, a gal named Kim Braun, who's Cheryl now gives all of her real estate to Kim. Kim was a Denver Bronco cheerleader when we were doing a Dolum. And a young man in our community, one of our, one of our best leaders, had a an eye for her, but she was not following Jesus and didn't know what to do. And I said, don't worry, we'll throw a party. I have a, I have a feeling something's going to happen with Kim. And so we had Kim over and some of her friends, and Kim eventually came to faith. And really beautiful story. I think about uh, the socially awkward kid named John that came to Adullam. And he actually came in and said, hi, my name's John. I'm socially awkward. That's how socially awkward he was. <laughs> And yet we would invite him to our parties. And we got to know John and other people loved on John. And then he eventually was dating this girl who was more awkward. She was a witch. And he told me about her witchcraft. I'm like, oh, just let's we'll have her over for a party. <laughs> and so she came over for a party. And about nine months later, she came to faith. And we baptized both of them. They now work on staff with apartment life. Think about Jesus. When everybody was saying, stay away from all those tax collectors, they're the worst SOBs in the entire city. Jesus went to his disciples said, hey, boys, guess what we're going to do tonight? We're going to have a party with a guy named Levi. And if Jesus doesn't have a party with Levi, you don't have the book of Matthew in your Bible. If you decide not to party, you decide to just live your own life and just go to church and just have maybe your your community groups that you have here and just always just be with just your Christian friends, just your Jewish buddies, guess what stories won't happen? But guess what might happen if you just start to open the door again? Many of you started your journey through this TK primer where we had you, we actually, part of that idea was to get you to throw a party. I know for many of us we'll, we'll get through the party, but okay, we're good for a year. Maybe we'll do another one next year. 
What we're talking about here is not a method of ministry that you do. It's not even a have to. Do you know that you never have to throw a party ever and Jesus will still love to welcome you? <laughs> he died. I mean, you can take communion the rest of your life and you can thank him for his grace. You don't ever have to do this. To me, this is the great, uh, that's really a walk of faith to say, God, with what little we have, with this little tiny house, this little apartment, this little frat house that me and my buddies live in, we're going to open up our door. We're, we're not going to overthink it. We're just going to get people together, and we're going to enjoy food and beverage and conversation. We're going to learn their stories. They're going to become friends, and we're going to trust that you're going to move things in that. Is this making any sense? This is, this, I mean, if you struggle, realize this is why it's in the Bible, is that God knows all of us will struggle with this. But it's the key missionary skill. Learn how to put on a party. So let me throw a couple practicals at you, then we'll just be done. Um, and honestly, this is just practical. A lot of people have asked when I share stuff like this, okay, how do you throw a party? I actually made a little video one time on my phone for a mega church that had 60 people on staff, and all of them had to have PhDs. And we were trying to help them with how to engage the culture. And I said, hey, it's okay, what do you guys like to do when you're not at the church, and nobody had an answer. I said, do you guys ever do anything? And they're like, yeah. So I said, we're going to come back next week, and we said, we're going to do a little class called How to Get a Life. Okay? <laughs> so, but one of those, I had to give them a video. They're like, hey, how do you do a party thing? So I walked around our house with my little camera, and I just said, okay, you put music on, and you light candles, put one in the bathroom. That helps people not freak out. Every once in a while, people have to go in there. And so just little, you know, basic stuff. Put out some food and drinks and whatever. And I remember we went back in. They're like, it was, that was life-changing. I was like, a lot of people are just going to struggle with this. So a couple thoughts that may help you get on your way with this. Um, a little prep. Whenever Cheryl and I have bought a house... We have always bought the house primarily for the party. We literally walked through homes. In fact, this last house in Alton, we were going to downsize. We're like, ah, we're getting old. Let's just get a little tiny place. Just you and I live, whatever. And then we were like, nope, that's not going to work because we got a party. So we bought this old turn-of-the-century uh, Victorian joint. And right when I walked in the lobby, I could see my Irish bar set up. And I just told Cheryl, it was the first 30 seconds, we'll buy this. Because it fit what we were doing. We threw a pool in the back because there are no pools down there. We're right in the middle of all the downtown area. We're like, we put a pool right there, that'll become a community pool, which it has. So when you start thinking about party, if you want to just go past 101, go 401. Take a look at your home and go, God, everything you've given us is for your purposes. And your main purposes, you said in Corinthians, was that we would have the ministry of reconciliation. The job of a believer is to bring the world to God by, being, by bringing people together. So everything you have now, you have to view it as a means to that end. So when you look at your home, no matter what you have, rethink it. We blew out the very first home in Denver. It was a, it was a great home, but all the rooms were really small. So we actually, first thing we did, we just blew out all the walls and stuck a big I-beam in, and it went from a place that could hold 12 people to a place that could hold 70 we could jam them in there. So some of you do this. And, and seriously, take a look at, they have this thing called Pinterest. <laughs> I've learned this. If you don't know what to do, use Pinterest party ideas. Boom, off you go. 
And you view that the way that you would reorient your home. You view that as just as spiritual an act as doing a Bible study with some friends through the book of Romans. You're prepping, you're readying, you're making ready your home for people. Okay? Some other things that you can do is prepare yourself personally. If you are introverted, um, it doesn't mean that God's going to let you off the hook. It just means you're just going to have to recover. Like I said, we could always call the party, but we, we wouldn't call the party unless we had planned the party. So I would tell you this, in, in even your community groups, you will probably go months and you might pull off one later, but if you really want to get to where you're living a rhythm, it's literally a rhythm of party. It's just part of your spiritual formation. It's part of your way of life. You're going to have to sit down with your friends that you do community with and go, hey, let's at least, I, I would throw this at you, at least twice a month, have a party. A party can be four people that you invite over for dinner. A party could be the seventh game of the NBA and you invite 30 people over. A party doesn't always have to be yeehaw. It's just get people in the house. If you would create a rhythm, for Cheryl and I, it was probably once a week there was some type of party. But if, if you go, look, that's a little bit rough for me, start slow, maybe even just once a month. We're going to begin to just see what God does as we invite people in. Consider that. Party fouls. The biggest question I get is, Hugh, what about the booze? So can I just throw one at you? What I've learned, you know, as, as we're a missionary movement, in every culture, you're called as missionaries. So if you ever, how many of you have been missionaries? Anybody? Go overseas, you know, you have to learn, like, what's the custom? So, um, and right now in American culture, we're becoming very European. We're becoming a foodie, whiny type of people, type thing. So, like, if I were to send you to Spain or Italy as a missionary, and every time you go to somebody's house, they invite you, and they're serving this, it would be weird if probably if you didn't learn how to choke down a little red wine every once in a while or something like that. But we're getting to the place in our history where a lot of people struggle with alcohol. A lot of the friends that God will call you on mission will have had terrible stories happen to them because of alcohol. And so the Christian play in the past has been, well, we're just never going to have any of it. I would challenge that. And I would tell you, this is the one thing I've learned, and we taught all of our people this, was try to never make an issue of food or drink. Jesus actually said the kingdom of God is not a matter of food or drink. So don't make a big deal. Don't make a big deal that you have it, and don't make a big deal that you don't have it. Anytime you get on one side or the other, you're going to potentially not be sort of referencing or witnessing of what the whole kingdom. The kingdom is about learning how to navigate life and enjoy life with people. And so in our, as we trained our communities in Denver, we told people based on the people that God's calling you to, you have to decide as a community how you navigate and make that appropriate. And two-thirds of our communities chose to be dry communities based on the people that they were on mission for. And another third, it was actually helpful to have a glass of wine with a neighbor. So you decide, but try to not to make an issue of it, okay? And the last thing I'll kind of leave you with is this. Um, parties, the, the goal of a party is not the conversion of your friends. The main goal you should be thinking of for every party you throw is that people will want to get together and have another party. Because what's happened over the course of all these parties is that you really do become friends with many of those people. And if I was to ask you, do you know how to be friends, how, what would you say? Yeah, we know how to be friends. Parties are how you become friends. Jesus, friend of sinners. 
The goal of a party is to become a friend. God will begin to take care of the rest. The stories will happen. People will share their lives. And you go, let's go out, just you and me, this Thursday. I want to hear more about what you're struggling with. And then you begin to share your life. And Jesus becomes a little bit more at the center of the conversation. So can I pray over you?